Um, hey, Jeff, how are you going? Hi, uh, yes, I'm good, thanks. Um, now, Jeff, um, I'd love to know uh, your experiences as you've tried to share Jesus with people, uh, mm-hmm. share your faith with people, because you've really only been a Christian for um, maybe about a year or a little bit over a year. Yep. So, yeah, what have your experiences in trying to share Jesus with those around you been like? Uh, yeah, um, I think really early on, it was just, I was lacking in courage and boldness to really um, share. And even sometimes coming out as a Christian, I was hesitant in that regard. Um, and I think a lot of it's just got to do with fear, um, like not knowing how they would react or not knowing what they would think, or if they're not interested, um, kind of, you know, you don't want to really push too far and to fear that, you know, the relationship might be strained. Um, and I think it's also really easy to just get caught up in the crowd and Christianity is not the crowd. Um, but I experienced how good the actual good news is and God's love and God's grace. And I had the desire to really want to share the good news with others. Um, and that's what he asks us to do. Um, but I think I was just really lacking in courage and boldness to actually do much with that. Um, in terms of struggles with sharing, um, I feel like a lot of the times that I'm, you know, when I do share, I do so really clumsily, um, or sometimes I feel like I say the wrong things, or I don't um, say it as well as I could, or other times the conversations get really tricky, um, and I feel like I don't answer as well as I could, or I, sometimes I feel like I answer really badly. Um, but really throughout all that, it's, it's really put in me just how much I need to grow, how much more I need to learn, um, how much more of the gospel I need to know, and also how much better equipped I need to be. Well, thanks so much, Jeff, uh, for sharing with us. And thanks so much for just being honest with us about some of your struggles. Well, those of you who are followers of Jesus uh, at SWEC, I wonder what you find difficult about sharing your faith with those around you. I mean, do you, like Jeff, sometimes or maybe often feel really inadequate. Like you don't know what to say, you don't know how to say it, feel like you sometimes make a hash of it. Or perhaps uh, you sometimes feel like, you know, that every attempt with that good friend or colleague or family member just seems to sort of hit a brick wall. Or widen it out to other kinds of Christian ministry, not just evangelism or sharing the gospel. When have you felt inadequate or discouraged, perhaps uh, as a leader or as a team member in some sort of church ministry or just someone who's trying to care for another believer? And it's not just you, you know, because I know pastors and missionaries who are regularly plagued by self-doubt. Now, these are guys and girls who do ministry and evangelism full time, who feel discouraged and often feel like giving up. So what about you? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 gives us reasons why we shouldn't give up, no matter what discouragements or difficulties come our way. You see, twice in this chapter, at the beginning and at the end, we read these words. I wonder if you noticed it when we read it earlier. We do not lose heart. You got that? This chapter is framed by that encouragement. We do not lose heart. Don't let discouragements get the better of you. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Now, you've got to remember, the person who wrote 2 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul. And if you've been with us in this series on 2 Corinthians, you'll know that of all people, 
Paul had reasons to lose heart. He had plenty of reasons to give up. Now, let me read to you what he writes later on in the book of 2 Corinthians, this letter we're looking at. Uh, This is in chapter 11, as he describes what life has been like for him as a servant of Jesus, as a pastor, missionary, church planter. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 23. Have a look on the screen. Paul says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from the, in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Now you add all that uh, to the background of this letter. You remember Paul wrote it at a time when this church that he planted, that he loved, that he spent so much time with and loved so dearly, they had a crisis of confidence in him. They had caused him so much pain. Now, I don't know about you, but for me as a pastor, there's a lot I can take from those outside of the church before I feel like giving up. But you know what? Nothing hurts quite as much as the pain I've experienced from those from inside the church, those that I've loved and ministered to. And so if anyone had reasons to give up, it would have been Paul. And yet he says, incredibly, we do not lose heart. So you've got to ask why, right? You've got to ask why. Do you feel discouraged in ministry as you seek to serve others or help others come to know Jesus? whether it's inside the church or outside the church, do you sometimes feel like giving up? Are you losing heart? Well, you need to pay attention, don't you? Because we'll get three reasons in this chapter why, despite everything, we ought not lose heart. Well, before we keep going, let me pray, and then we'll get into the passage. Lord Jesus, today, open our eyes so that through Paul's words, through your words inspired by the Holy Spirit, we might find out reasons why we ought not to lose heart so that we can continue to serve others for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got three points. And the first reason why we ought not lose heart is that failure and success don't depend on us. Look again uh, as we read from verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Now, have you ever felt that brick wall when you're trying to share Jesus with someone? No matter how you try to reason or present or plead, there's just this hardness, this resistance, or this, I just couldn't be bothered sort of attitude. 
Now, God reminds us here in 2 Corinthians 4 that there is a deeper, there's a spiritual reason for that. And that reason is that Satan is at work, right? He is the God of this age. In verse 4, Satan has blinded people's hearts and minds. Or to pick up the image from last week's passage, you'll remember from chapter 3, that veil over the people of Israel's hearts and minds that prevents them from seeing the glory of God. Well, here in chapter 4, that's over every heart. And every mind that doesn't respond to the good news of Jesus in verse 3. And this veil, this blindness, let's remember, even from last week, it's not intellectual, right? It's not because people are dumb or ignorant or uneducated. No, no, no. It's moral. As the famous saying goes, what the heart desires, the will chooses, and then the mind justifies. What the heart desires, the will chooses, then the mind justifies. Uh, People don't believe because in their hearts they don't want to believe. Because believing and trusting in Jesus involves giving up being the boss of your own lives and making God the boss of your life. And that's just too much to give up. So you see, failure doesn't depend on us, right? There are deeper spiritual forces at play, says Paul. You remember that. But next, you also need to notice verse 6, don't you? You see, how is it possible for anyone to turn to Jesus if there's nothing that we can do? Failure doesn't depend on us. Well, the answer, verse 6, is the answer is God. You see, God's able to break through that. He is the one who speaks light into darkness. And and that there in verse 6 is a reference both to creation in Genesis 1, as well as the promise of salvation, a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. Look it up later if you like. You see, God is in the supernatural business of creating light out of darkness. And that glorious switching on of lights to drive away blindness and unveil hearts, that's what God loves to do. Now, by the way, if you're here and you're still investigating Jesus, you're trying to find out whether, you know, you want to put your trust in him, become a follower of Jesus, but you just feel like, ah, you know, I get a lot, but I just, there's something that's just blocking me. I'm not quite getting it fully. Well, you know what? The best thing you can do, right? The best thing you can do is to ask God, right? God, if you're there. Open my eyes so that I can see you. God, if you're there, show me that you're real. Show me that Jesus really is worth following. Try it. It's a little scary, perhaps, because, you know, if you pray something like that, it's going to happen because God is in the business of making light shine out of darkness. And he'll do that directly to your heart if you seek him and ask him to. And so you see, failure doesn't depend on us, but neither does success. So we're beginning to see Paul's point, aren't we? Why not lose heart in sharing Jesus with people? Why not give up when you feel the results simply aren't there or you feel like you're just simply not good enough? First reason, failure and success don't depend on you or me. That's so important, isn't it? Because imagine if it did. Imagine failure and success rested on us in Christian ministry. See, I reckon if it did rest on us, there'd be two consequences. Uh, Either we'd become really depressed because nothing's happening and we're trying so hard, or the other end of the spectrum, we'd get really, really proud because we think we've done it all. Yeah, those two consequences make sense. Or actually, there's a third possible consequence. The third consequence, I think, is that we'd be tempted to use underhanded and deceptive methods in the way that we try to bring others to Jesus. And so that's why in this section, Paul also spells out some do's and don'ts when it comes to his ministry philosophy, if you like. And they flow straight out of the point that failure and success don't depend on us. 
See, verse two starts with a few don'ts. You see it there? He says, we don't use secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception and we don't distort the word of God. You see, gospel ministry is no marketing campaign for those of you who work in marketing. It's not a bait and switch, right? Come for a free holiday. You end up buying timeshare. You don't water down the message either. You don't soften the difficult bits because they're unpalatable. You don't try to make it sound better. You don't make promises that God himself doesn't make. But you see, that's what you might do if you felt that failure or success depended on you. You would try to do everything in your power, even if it's deceptive, even if it's not entirely truthful, you would do everything to gain results. Now, I wish I could say that that wasn't happening in church circles around the world, even in Australia. But unfortunately, it is. Results driven, prosperity promising, growth at the expense of everything. We've got to be really careful. This doesn't become us. Well, there are the don'ts. What about the do's? Second half of verse two, on the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So you see the opposite of using deception and underhanded methods is just to be clear and plain. Just present the good news as it is, or as we looked at last week, you know, just point people to Jesus and let him encounter them. Let him do the work. And verse 5, you see there, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants, or literally slaves, for Jesus' sake. In this age of social media, always be wary of those who are on about themselves and making themselves look good, rather than Jesus. Now, when I was a uni student, I remember one of the Christian groups at uni would go around during orientation offering chuppa chups. Uh, to random students, if they filled out a survey, fill out a survey, get a chopper chop. But here's the thing though, the survey would ask for their contact details. And then through these contact details, they'd be contacted by this Christian group later on, but nothing on the survey says that, you know, that's what's going to happen. Now I don't know about you, but that seems to be the kind of thing that 2 Corinthians 4 would warn us against. Or another example, when I was a youth leader at church, the one that I grew up in, uh, one youth would regularly bring friends to Sunday morning youth Bible study. And when we asked her, well, how did you, how do you manage to bring so many friends all the time? She said that she always promises to go see a movie with her friends in the city if they first agreed to come to church with her. But it was pretty clear that they didn't know they would be coming to hear about Jesus and do Bible study. Now, again, that's the kind of thing we would want to avoid doing, Right. Because remember, verse 1, this is God's work. It's God's ministry. The glorious ministry of the new covenant that we looked at last week from chapter 3. What God is doing by His power through His Spirit in the hearts of people, in that new creation act of bringing light into darkness, is this incredibly supernatural, powerful ministry that we are engaged in. A ministry where failure and success don't depend on us. So, says Paul, don't lose heart. Well, that's the first reason. How about the second reason? What's the second reason why we shouldn't lose heart in the tough business of serving others in Christian ministry? Look at verse 7. A very famous verse, an incredible verse. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. All right, the second reason 
We ought not to lose heart. God's treasure is in jars of clay. That most precious and glorious and supernatural treasure of the gospel, the one that brings light into darkness, life from death. Well, guess what? That treasure, says Paul, is carried around, strangely enough, in clay jars. Now, what are clay jars? Clay jars were basically the takeaway containers of the ancient world. Yeah, they were used to carry anything and everything, just as we use plastic takeaway containers to to do lots, not just get takeaway, right? And we have plenty of archaeological samples of these kind of clay jars because they were everywhere. Now, they weren't worth a lot. They definitely weren't very strong, easily breakable. And if you broke one, just like a takeaway container, what do you do? You just go get another one, right? No big deal. That's us, says Paul. That's us. We're clay jars, ordinary, fragile, unimpressive, common. It's in us, clay jars like us, takeaway containers like us, that God chooses to put his precious and mighty treasure of the gospel. You see, we're like the, the cheap tissue paper wrapped around a precious diamond that is the gospel. We're like fragile eggshells that incubate the precious seed of God's word inside. We're the worn and torn electric cables through which the mighty energy of the gospel is transmitted. God's treasure in jars of clay. You get the picture, right? So says Paul, don't worry if you feel like a clay jar sometimes. Don't don't be down because you feel weak and, and fragile and insignificant and not that special. I remember Pastor John Piper telling the story of how he was a really shy teenager and college student, and he was terrified of of public speaking. He had physical symptoms that when he tried to get up and publicly speak, he just physically could not do it. He was so scared of it. But look now, look how God has used this man to influence millions, I mean, by his writing, but also by his preaching, yeah? His public speaking, treasure in jars of clay. Or I think about Joni Erickson Tata, uh, the quadriplegic, uh, or Nick Vujicic, right? Born without arms and legs, an evangelist. I look these people up sometimes. Joni, Nick, treasure in jars of clay. And what's the reason God would put his treasure in a clay jar? Why not put a diamond in an ornate jewelry box? Uh, You know, I was watching a, a documentary once about how the top perfumes of the world Uh, The raw ingredients aren't actually that expensive. Why are they so expensive though? Well, because of the cost of the bottles. Yeah, the bottles of perfume for for the perfume are always incredible. And the cost of marketing these, um, which is part of the reason why they put them in such beautiful bottles. So you got to ask, why doesn't God put his treasure in a beautiful and an attractive bottle or a, a beautiful ornate jewelry box? Well, you know the reason why, right? If someone broke into your house to steal something precious, where are they going to look? Your safe jewelry box or your recycling bin? You see, if God puts his treasure in ordinary clay jars, there'll be no mistaking the treasure for the container. You got that? You can't possibly think that the container has anything to contribute to why the treasure is so beautiful and precious. St. Francis of Assisi was asked once um, how and why God used him to accomplish accomplish so much in his life. And this was his reply. He said this, this may be why, he said. The Lord looked down from heaven and said, where can I find the weakest, littlest man on earth? Then he saw me and said, I found him. And he won't be proud of it. He'll see that I'm only using him because of his insignificance. 
That's exactly what the second half of verse 7 means, isn't it? Right? It's to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And so Paul goes on in verse 8 to really drive that home. Look with me and let's read those verses again. Verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Now those verses 8 and 9 especially are really quite poetic, especially in the original where Paul wrote it in. Uh, One translation has it like this, and I really like this. Uh, Paul is really saying this, we are squeezed, but not squashed. We're bewildered, but not befuddled. We're pursued, but not abandoned. We're knocked down, but not knocked out. That's a great way of putting it, isn't it? You see, as jars of clay with God's precious and powerful treasure, we display that key idea, this key, the main idea really that guides the whole book of 2 Corinthians. And it's actually the title of our series in 2 Corinthians. What's the main idea? It's this, the strength of weakness, the strength of weakness. God's power and strength is most displayed in our weakness. Now, you've got to note, it's not that his power is most displayed in spite of our weakness. Yeah, there's a difference. Weakness is not something that God has to somehow overcome to show his strength. That is not what this passage or 2 Corinthians is saying. This passage is saying that weakness is precisely what God uses and wants to use to display his strength and power. Yeah, not in spite of weakness, but in weakness. It's what's called a paradox. A paradox. Now, while it's hard to grasp, followers of Jesus, I want to suggest that you already know it because you're followers of Jesus. It's, it's what happens with Jesus in his life and especially in his death, isn't it? Uh, I don't know if you remember when we looked at the gospel of John leading up to Easter. Uh, remember the cross we saw in the gospel of John isn't just the inconvenient way to the throne for Jesus. As if he had to get through that and it was an inconvenient way before he got to show his power and glory. No, no, no. The cross, you'll remember, especially in the Gospel of John, the cross is the throne. The cross is the throne. It's in his humiliation and weakness and crucifixion and death that we see God's glory. You got that? Not in spite of weakness, but in weakness. And that's what Paul picks up here in 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 10 is literally, we always carry around in our body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. It's in the midst of dying that there is life, in the midst of weakness that there is strength, in jars of clay that there is treasure. And if we're in any doubt of that, verse 12, you see, death is at work in us, life is at work in you, in you Corinthians. You see, those of you who feel like ministry to others feels a little like death sometimes. Remember, in your dying, in your sacrifice, God is bringing life to others. And you see, that, put it all together, this is why Paul can have that down but not out attitude. Yeah, he's like the boxing dummy that you hit and hit and hit and just springs back again and you hit and it springs back again and again and again. Now, 
pause a little here. I wonder, is God speaking to you specifically right now? Is he? See, maybe you're so close to giving up or taking a back seat in your serving and ministry to others because you've tried so hard and have experienced so little reward and so little fruit and encouragement. Or you feel like the sacrifice has just been too great or, or, or the conflict, the pain that others cause you just too much to bear. Or you just feel, ah, oh, I just don't have, I'm just so weak and inadequate. I'm just so bad at this. God is saying to you, don't lose heart. Right? Don't give up. Don't give in. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. My treasure is in you, a clay jar for a reason, he says. So don't lose heart. Well, the final reason then, the third reason why the Apostle Paul doesn't lose heart in gospel work and the third reason why we're not to lose heart. Reason number three, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. What keeps Paul speaking in spite of it all? Well, verse 13, I believe, therefore I've spoken. Right, and what does he believe that causes him to keep speaking? Verse 14, key verse, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Right, Paul believes that the best is yet to come. He believes that all of his efforts won't have been wasted because one day he will see his beloved Corinthian Christians with him in heaven before the throne of God. I don't know if you've ever watched those movies or even those YouTube videos of graduation ceremonies, right? Whether it's a, it's a fictional movie or, a, or, or sometimes, you know, people show graduation ceremonies on YouTube, um, whether it's high school graduation or uni graduation or something. I don't know about you, but when I look at these examples, I always notice how wonderful and proud and perfect these graduation ceremony moments are, right? The sun is always shining. People are always smiling. Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents are there. Everyone's there. They're proud as anything. And then you always have someone incredibly famous like Steve Jobs or Barack Obama giving the speech, right? The keynote speech. And then at the end of it, you all throw up your hats and there's that beautiful scene with all the hats go up in the air and it's just the perfect day. Well, I don't know about your graduations. Maybe it was like that, but you know what? I had a few of mine and none of them were like that, okay? None of them were like that. They were all really, really, really boring. And they didn't even let us throw the hat up in the air because the last thing you want with these rental gowns is losing your hat and therefore losing your deposit, yeah? I don't know. Maybe you've had better graduation experiences than me. But here's the thing. Whatever the case, there is one graduation ceremony that I cannot wait to attend. It's the graduation day at the end of the ages. The graduation when every single child of God will walk up to the throne of God Almighty and receive a congratulations from Him. And you know, on that day, it won't be a piece of cardboard we'll be getting. It'll be eternal life. Just imagine this one. Think about this. If you are a Christian here today, your name's going to be called out on that graduation day. All right, Jeffrey, graduated. You've finished the race. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come to your reward. Veronica, graduated. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and receive your reward. Andrew Fan, graduated. Diana Chan, graduated. Pete Coe, finished the race, graduated. Well done. I can't wait. But you know, I reckon even more exciting than hearing my own name being called out 
we'll really be hearing the names of well, those youth group kids I invested so much into back in the day to hear their names called out. Uh, even more exciting than hearing my own name called out will be hearing the names of my neighbors who've come to know Jesus. You know, I can't wait for every single person that I've prayed for and tried to sometimes really clumsily share the gospel to. And they haven't become Christians through me, but they've become Christians through someone else. I'm sure on that last day, we'll have so many surprises. Wow, I prayed for you. I had no idea that someone else led you to Christ. I can't wait to hear about them, for them to walk up on that graduation day and shake the Father's hand. You're getting the picture, friends, because it's that. It's a picture like that in verse 14 that keeps the Apostle Paul going. We're not to lose heart because the best is yet to come. Let's finish by looking at the last few verses. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's a great line in the movie Gladiator. I think it just turned 20 years now, so a lot of you probably haven't seen it. But the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe, this line in it, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Yeah, those of you seen it, you remember? What we do in life echoes in eternity. It's true, you know. Because at the end of the day, we got to remember that there is nothing more eternally significant than telling people about Jesus and helping them grow in their relationship with Jesus so they make it all the way to the end. There's nothing more important in life than that, is there? You see, verse 17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, back in chapter 1, verse 8, Paul used the same phrase in the original to talk about being weighed down with troubles beyond his ability to endure. That was in chapter 1, verse 8. Now he uses it, the same phrase to speak of the eternal weight of glory that far outweighs anything and everything, right? The, the weight of the troubles is now used to talk about the weight of glory. You see, 50 million years, right? 50 million years into eternity, when we are still partying together with God and each other in the new creation, you know what? I don't think we're going to care much about anything that we might have had to cop in this life as a follower of Jesus, whether it's from trying to share Jesus with others, persecution, or whether it's just the troubles of life. I don't think we're going to care about that. I don't think the Apostle Paul is even going to give a second thought to all the, the beatings and imprisonment and insults and shipwrecks and eventually having his head cut off. And that's how he died. Because in verse 17, look what he says. He calls them light and momentary troubles. They're a minor inconvenience. It's chewing gum on your shoes. It's a zit on your face, light and momentary, right? Whatever it is, it would have all been worth it every single bit because it's achieving for us an eternal glory that just can't compare. It far outweighs anything else. So don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Well, that's it from me. Um, but here's the thing. We, we started with my interview with Jeff. Uh, there's a little bit more and I want you to uh, listen to this um, before we finish up. You know, in spite of some of the difficulties that you faced, uh, both from a courage point of view and as well as, a, I guess, you know, knowing what to say, um, what's, what's motivating you to keep trying as, as a fairly new Christian to keep trying? 
Um, yeah, well, kind of the troubles that I've gone through, they're, they're, they're relatively minor. Um, but I think Paul has been a really big encouragement. Um, As in the Apostle Paul from the Bible? The Apostle Bible? Paul, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, knowing that he goes through so many hardships and so many struggles and persecutions and um you know he lives a life of such danger um that he would go out and continually preach the good news um and i think that's just really a testament of um how jesus is really at work in him and his faith and his trust that he holds so firm to that he would risk and give everything um, to really just share the good news to as many people as possible, regardless of what others think of him. And I think that's really incredible. Um, and also myself having experienced the good news um, and how great that is, there's a strong desire to really um, to share it and to push outside my comfort zones. And also for other Christians, just looking how they conduct themselves and how they live their lives and also yeah, just how it is that they share the good news with other people has also been an encouragement. And I know that, um, yeah, if, if no one has shared the good news with me, then I probably wouldn't have been a Christian. Well, thanks again, Jeff. What an encouragement to hear that. Well, let's pray. Father God, please help us today from hearing your word not to lose heart, to know that failure and success don't depend on us, to know that treasure is in jars of clay for a reason, to show that you are the one with the all-surpassing power. And please, especially today, fix our eyes on eternity because the best is yet to come. So help us in this COVID season and beyond never to lose heart and to know that our labor is not in vain. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I've got a discussion question for you. I've got a discussion question uh, that you and your groups might want to talk about. And it's this. What might it mean for you this week, right? be specific, this week, not to lose heart in your ministry to others, whether it's to Christians or non-Christians, right? What might it mean for you this week not to lose heart in your ministry to others? And don't just think um, outside of your household. For those of you, you know, you, you may even want to think about people that you live with, children, parents, relatives. What does it mean for you not to lose heart in your ministry to others? All right, God bless you and we'll see you again next week.